I was younger, and I shared with you before, when I was younger, we lived two doors down, or four doors down, rather, from my grandparents. And in the house that my grandparents lived in, they had a big square turnaround in the back of their house, and that was our basketball court. It was also our baseball diamond. Uh, we played wiffle ball. I don't know if you all know what wiffle ball is, but it's it's like baseball, except it's a plastic, uh, it's a plastic ball and instead of a hard ball. So we played wiffle ball. And in our baseball field, the way that we had home plate set up, my grandparents' house ran this way, and here was home plate right here. So we had first base, second base, and then third base was right over by the house. The problem was that was also by where my grandparents' den window was. Y'all see this setting up already, don't you? I don't know why we had home plate facing that way, but all of us were right-handed batters. So anybody that knows anything about baseball or softball, right-handed batters tend to hit to the left side of the field. And so that made uh, that den window a prime target for a foul ball. And my grandfather told us, you boys better be careful playing wiffle ball out there by my window. And we said, I don't think this plastic ball, and there goes the phone. See, you never know what happens in a live service. Everybody will get a good laugh out of that. There we go. So anyway, my grandfather said, you guys do not mess with my window. And we said, well, Pa, plastic, I don't think a plastic ball will break the window. Well, I don't remember which one of us were batting. I don't remember if it was me. I don't remember if it was my brother. I don't remember if it was my neighbor. We had several of us kids. We played ball back there. But one of us, sure enough, hit the ball, and we cracked that den window. Y'all ever do something like that growing up? Well, our lesson today, sometimes our lives or like that den window. And sometimes life throws wiffle balls at us faster than we're ready to catch them. Those wiffle balls come at our window of life and they, they shatter them, they break them, they, they, they shatter our peaceful existence and they throw us into turmoil. Adversity and trial and struggle have always been part of the human existence. Here are some sayings about struggle and uh, adversity, some of them you've probably heard, some of them you might not have. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Crises produce great men and great deeds of courage. No pain, no gain. When the world gives you a lemon, make lemonade. And here's my favorite, when God sends us on stony paths, he provides strong shoes. Uh, I, I like that particular saying about adversity. But adversity is something that we all deal with. And, and in this series, we are looking at the fact and the concept of how big our God is. And perhaps Jeremiah sums it up best. In Jeremiah 32 and verse 12, he says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and earth by your strong hand and your powerful arm, nothing is too hard for you. 
And we've used the lives of some Bible characters to point out, first of all, that God is bigger than my past. We all have a past, don't we? We all have things that we regret. We all have things that we wish we could go back and do over. When we look at the life of Peter, and we understand that God was bigger than Peter's house, and or bigger, bigger than Peter's past, and even though Peter denied the Lord and he failed miserably, Jesus restored him and used Peter in a powerful way. Then we talked about the fact that God is bigger than my fear. And we talked about King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 when he was surrounded by foreign armies. And he said, God, we don't know what to do. We're going to just turn this battle over to you. And we learned that we need to learn to let the Lord fight our battles. God is indeed bigger than our fears. We looked at the fact that God is bigger than our anger. We looked at Cain and we looked at the sons of Jacob and we looked at some other folks in scripture that dealt with anger. And we found out that if we can learn to live loved and we can learn to live forgiven, it makes us live less angry and more forgiving of other people. And then today we're going to look at the idea that God is bigger than our pain. God is bigger than our adversity. God is bigger than our troubles. God is bigger than our struggles. And perhaps one of the most well-known stories of overcoming adversity in the Bible is found in the book of Job. So if you have your Bibles, Job chapter 1 is... Uh, we're, really, we're going to look all throughout the, the book of Job, but Job chapter 1 is where we're going to start. But before we get into the text, let me, let me lay a little bit of groundwork for you, some background to the book of Job. Job is the first five of what we call the wisdom books. Uh, there are five of those in the Old Testament, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon, or Solomon's Song, or Song of Songs. Uh, those are the five wisdom books. We can read those books and, and learn about wisdom and learn about the wisdom of, uh, of God uh, that's given to us. Job is a man who has everything. He loses it all, and then he ends up getting it all back. And the book of Job wrestles with the age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to righteous people? Why do bad things happen to those people that fear God? That is not just a question for our day. It's a question that's been asked all through the centuries. And the book of Job deals with that. Just out of, it's interesting to me, you might not know, that Job also appears in several Near Eastern texts. Not just the Bible, but also historical records of that time. In these texts, Job is known for his wisdom. Therefore, Job is not only a biblical figure, Job is also a historical figure of that time. The text of Job doesn't reveal its author, but it's obvious that the author was a critical thinker, and he is an author who treats very sensitive and complex human emotional issues with compassion, with mature spiritual reasoning. We think that Job was written in the time of the patriarchs. And by that time, we mean before Moses. We think especially around the time of Abraham. And the reason we think that it was written during this time 
was the fact that the Israelites aren't mentioned in the book of Job. Uh, if, the, if it would have been written later, the Israel and the Israelites would have been mentioned. Job's lifespan was well over 100 years, which is something that was very common in the days of the patriarchs. Job chapter 1 verse 5 tells us that Job served as a, a priest for his family. When, when God made a covenant with Israel and Moses came along, that would have been uh, not allowed in the Mosaic law. Remember, the priests were from the line of Aaron and from that lineage. So we think it was before the Mosaic law had taken effect. And then finally, the measurement of Job's wealth in terms of his, was in terms of his livestock and in terms of his slaves. And that is a way that during the days of the patriarch, they measured wealth. Abraham was a very wealthy man. Jacob and Isaac were very wealthy men. And God measures their wealth by their sheep, their flocks, their donkeys, their camels, their slaves. And God does, and the writer of Job does the same thing with Job. The book of Job is divided into three main parts. Uh, Job's dilemma in chapters 1 and 2. Job's debates with his friends in chapters 3 to 37. And then finally Job's deliverance in, verse, in chapters 38. To 42. But as we look over this book, one question looms large over this book, and that is why do good people suffer? If God is indeed all powerful and God is indeed all knowing, why do good people suffer? And the overall theme of the book of Job is not the cause for Job's suffering, but rather the focus on the book is what did Job learn? from all of this suffering. The debates that Job had with his free, three friends answer and focus on two questions that we still ask today. The first question is, are righteousness and reward linked together? In other words, if we are righteous and we are God-fearing and we keep God's commandments and we're moral and we do the right thing, are we guaranteed a problem-free life? That's the first question. The second question is, are sin and suffering always linked together? In other words, if, if we do good, are we going to be rewarded? If we do bad, are we going to be punished in this life? And we need to understand before we get started that God sees the whole big picture in life. The answer to human suffering is never really answered in the book of Job. I don't suppose there, and so let me say before we ever get started, quite often people ask me, some of the inmates in the prison will say, well, why is my mom suffering with cancer? Why is my dad having heart issues? Why, why does this happen to me? I'm trying to do bad things or, or good things, and, and why are these bad things happening? There, I don't have a good answer as to why. Sometimes I don't know the answer. Sometimes you don't know the answer. But what we can learn from the book of Job and what I want us to see is, in fact, as we go through life, like my grandfather's den window, sometimes wiffle balls come along and they put cracks in our life. They, they put cracks in the facade. They, they turns our life upside down. And while we may not always understand why, 
My goal for our lesson today is help us to understand that whatever it is that we are going through, God is bigger. We may not have an answer of why, but we do have an answer of who. We may not always have an answer as to what's going to happen next, but we do understand that the one is, who is in control of everything is in control of our future. God is bigger than our struggles. So let's jump in to Job, in Job chapter 1. And what I want us to see in chapters 1 and 2, and if we don't get a good grasp of chapters 1 and 2, we won't understand the book of Job. The book of Job, we won't learn the lessons out of it. There's a backstory. There's more to what's going on in Job than just Job's suffering. So we're going to break down chapters 1 and 2 pretty thoroughly this morning. Job chapter 1, first verses 1 through 5, we'll see Job's character. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned or avoided evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. Now Job's sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day. On the birthday, they'd have a birthday party in their house, is what he's talking about here. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. We see several things about Job here. First of all, he was a moral person. Verse 1 tells us that he was blameless and upright. He feared God. He, he avoided evil. So he was moral. We find that he was a loving and devoted dad. He, he watched over his children. When his children had birthday parties and there were eating and drinking going on, Job mediated between them and God and asked God to forgive them in case they sinned. So he was a devoted dad. He was enormously wealthy, verse 3 tells us. So that tells us about Job. He's religiously moral. He's extremely wealthy. He is a loving and devoted dad. So with all of that in mind, look what happens next. Verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, 
and he will surely curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So in verse 6, verse 6 tells us, There was a day that the sons of God, and when you see this term, sons of God, in the Old Testament, it generally refers to angels. So there came a day when the angels came into God's throne room. And Satan, who was a created angel, right? That's who Satan was. He was cast out of heaven for rebelling against God. But still, he has access to God's throne room. And he comes to God, and God asks him. God opens up the conversation and said, Where have you been, Satan? And Satan says, Well, I've been wandering around the earth. I've been looking, seeing what I can see. Peter tells us that Satan walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So Satan tells God, I've been looking around. I've been watching. And Job said, have you seen my servant Job? Have you thought about getting him? Have you thought about going after him? After all, my servant Job, there's none like him in all the earth. He's blameless and upright, one who fears God and shuns evil. What a character reference that God gives. I uh, could ask us a question, and it's, not this sermon, but it's a sermon we could get out of this, is what kind of character reference would God give you? If Satan wants to come into God's throne room and talk about you, what would God say about you? But God tells Satan, have you considered Job? He, he's upright, he's blameless, he's a, good, he's a good man. And Satan says, you know why he's good, don't you? He's good because you've been good to him. You've given him a big family, you've given him a lot of possessions, you've given him land, you've given him flocks, you've given him cattle, you've given him wealth. God, Satan says, if you take this away from him, Job will curse you. And so God says in verse 12, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. Now notice verse 11. This is important. We need to understand this here. Verses 11 and 12. But now Satan says to God, stretch out your hand. Satan recognizes that God is the one with the power. God does, Satan does not have control over Job. We need to understand God's the one in control. No matter what happens in this world, no matter how much evil happens in this world, nothing happens that God doesn't know about. We need to understand that and realize that. And so what Satan says is God, is God, you need to take his stuff away from him. So notice what God says. Verse 12, God says to Satan, all that he has is in your power. God gives Satan the authority to do to Job whatever he wants to. Just don't take his help. Don't mess with Job personally. God gives Satan permission to do that. So we need to understand that backstory. That in spite of everything that happens in our world, as chaotic as it might be, and the reason why it's chaotic, the reason why our world's evil, is because of sin. Make no doubt about it. We live in a fallen, sinful world. Man is totally depraved. Man Animals don't do anything to each other that man doesn't do it three times worse. 
Uh, it, I like to watch shows like Criminal Minds and Forensic Files and some of those different shows like that. And it's amazing how many different ways that human beings can be wicked toward each other. But that's because of our fallenness. That's because of the fallenness of man. Understand God's still in control. God has still got it all in the palm of his hand. Everything, and we'll talk more about that as we go along. So notice what happens next. Verse 13, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, and now notice how quickly all of this happens. The messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabaeans raided them and took them away, indeed they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I have alone have escaped to tell him, or to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young men, and they're dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Can I tell you this morning that life happens fast? Trouble and adversity happens fast. The Abernathy's had a week last week with, with everything that happened with Mike being sick and uh, the things that happened to his, uh, to his mom. Uh, it, it, it just it happens quickly. Uh, when we were playing wiffle ball, we, we go from having a good time to, oh my goodness, we have cracked and broken my grandfather's window, especially after he told us not to mess with the grandfather's window or not to be careful with his window. Life happens quickly. Do you notice how quickly all this happens with Job? They came and raided while he was still speaking. Fire, lightning came from heaven and and killed this, and while, while he was speaking, these folks raided, and, and while he was still speaking, a tornado came and killed the kids. Job goes from having everything to having nothing. Life happens that quickly sometimes. Life comes at us sometimes quicker than what we are ready for. Notice Job's response, verse 20. That Job rose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and, of all things, he worshipped. And Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. We'll have more to say that, but the story doesn't end there. Look at chapter 2. The first part of chapter 2 I've entitled, Here We Go Again. Again there was a day when the sons of men, or the sons of God, came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, 
From where do you come? Where have you been going? Satan answered to the Lord from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, an upright and uh, blameless man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has that he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely cuss you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So the same scene repeats itself. Satan goes into God's throne room. God says, Satan, where have you been? Satan says, I've been walking to and fro around the earth, seeing whom I may devour. Satan, God says, have you considered Job? He is upright. He's kept on with his integrity. He's still following me, even though you did all these things to him. And notice what God says. God says, you incited me to take up my hand against him. So God is in control of all this. Satan's just the tool. And so Satan says, well, he still has his health. If you take his health away from him, he'll curse you. If he thinks he's going to die, his will to live and his fight for survival, that'll take him away from you. God says, go ahead and do what you want to do with him. Just don't kill him. Verse 7, then Satan went from the presence of the Lord, struck Job with powerful boils, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a pot shirt, a piece of pottery, with which to scratch himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. So Job has these sores all over him. Uh, he, he's hurting, he's itching. He's itching so bad he takes a piece of pottery, and a broken piece of pottery, and he uses it to scratch himself, to try to get some relief from everything that's going on. And it gets so bad in verse 9 that his wife, Mrs. Job, said to him, Do you still hold your integrity? Curse God and die. I tell you what, of all the things that happened to Job, losing his children, losing his family, losing his possessions, losing his health, to me, the worst of all of it would be to have your very own wife whom you love. She's supposed to be your partner. She's supposed to be your support system. She just looks at him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? You ought to just die. That's pretty bad shape, isn't it? Somebody asked, I wonder why God didn't take Mrs. Job. Well, now Satan uses Mrs. Job to turn against Job. So we might have an answer to that. Look what Job answers. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. You're a crazy woman. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? And all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. It's important for us to understand the backstory of this, of everything that happened to Job. The world looks at Job, and the world looks at things today that happen. They say, well, God's unfair. Job didn't do anything. That's not fair. Today, when something happens in the world that is 
a tragedy? Isn't that one of the first things that we hear? Is, well, God must not be paying attention. If there's a God, this wouldn't have happened. If there's a God and he really cared about us, this tragedy wouldn't happen. Where was God when all of this was going on? And that's a legitimate question. That's a question that we struggle with. Because in our sense of right and wrong, we have in our mind what's right and what's wrong. But can I suggest to you that our picture is limited? Job's picture, he has no idea about this conversation between Satan and God. Job has no idea that this stuff has happened. All Job knows is that he's lost everything, he's lost his health, and his wife has turned against him. And in all of it, he chose to stay faithful to God. When bad things happen in our world, I don't always have an answer for the why. But I do know this. I know that God sees the big picture. And there are things that we may never know the answer to. But it doesn't shake my faith in God. It doesn't shake my understanding that God is there. Now let's let's dig a little deeper to see how did Job... That's how the world looks at Job. That's how the world looks at disaster. That's how the world looks at things that when we go through struggles and trials and pain and, and cancer and heart stuff and relationship problems, and when we go off, the world looks at it one way. How did Job look at his trouble? Did you remember back in chapter 1, verses 20 through 22? Even though Job was grieving, it said that Job tore his clothes, he put ashes on his head, he knelt down, and he worshipped. Job continued to worship God. Now you can write these verses down. We won't read them, but I'll give them to you. In Job chapter 23, verses 3 and 4, and in Job 23, 8 and 9, Job asks, where is God? He says, when I look in front of me, I don't see God. When I look behind me, I don't see God. Verses 8 and 9 of Job 23 talk about the fact that it would be good if man had a mediator between himself and God to state his case. I've got a question for you this morning. Can you relate to Job? Have you ever gone through problems in your life that it just seemed like God was far away? When you look in front of you, you can't see God. When you look behind you, you can't see God. You say, where was God? Job did that. That's a common response that we as humans have to suffering and to adversity and to trials and to struggle. We'll say, where is God? But can I submit to you this morning that God is closer than you think? We'll come back to that. All of Job's wives, there's at least four different chapters in Job where Job asked why. Job 3 verse 11. Job 7, verse 20, Job 10, verse 2, and Job 13, and verse 24. Can I tell you that all of Job's whys went unanswered? God never told Job why. And can I share something with you today? 
Did you know that God in his sovereignty doesn't necessarily owe us a why for everything? God is the one that's sovereign, not us. Sometimes we don't get to know why. Sometimes we don't have that answer. All of Job's whys went unanswered. We notice in chapter 2, verses 11 to 13, that Job had three friends. Belnad, Eliphaz, and Zophar. These three friends, they came to see Job and visit with him. And when they got there in chapter 2, verses 11 to 13, they saw just how pitiful Job looked. And it said, it said Scripture tells us that it tore them up so badly, they tore their clothes, and they wept, and they poured ashes on their head, and they sat down with Job for seven days and seven nights and never said a word. Have you ever seen a friend or a family member struggle so badly that you sat there for seven days and nights and didn't say anything? Job was in bad shape. These same friends, they try to start comforting Job and try to start talking to them. And in chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, Job said, y'all are a bunch of miserable comforters. Y'all are just horrible comforters. A long time ago, I went to visit someone in the hospital, and one of my deacons went with me. He, he said, I'd like to go with you if I could. I said, that'll be fine. And, and this fellow was going to have some real basic operation, like an appendectomy or something like that. And it, it wasn't a, a big deal as far as big deals go. And so I, I talked with him for a while. I read some scripture. We prayed together. And the deacon didn't say a word. And right as we got ready to leave, the deacon shook his head and says, I sure hope you don't die. <laughs> and I thought about this phrase about being miserable comforters. Sometimes we as humans are not the greatest comforters in the world. And can I also tell you, and this is a whole other sermon, but sometimes when someone is grieving, sometimes when someone is hurting, we don't have to have the answers why. Sometimes the best way we can minister to them is just be there. Just to sit next to them. To hold their hand. I call it the ministry of presence. Just to let people know that we're there. Because sometimes things are just so hard, there's nothing we can say that makes it any better. That's the way Job's friends were. Every time they opened their mouth, they made Job feel worse. We can summarize the faith of Job, and let's look at this passage. Look at Job 23, verses 10 to 12. Job 23, 10 to 12. Job is just, he's a hero of mine. Because I can honestly admit to you, I've been through some trials and tribulations, and I don't think I came out as well as Job did, as far as things I thought and the things I said. Look at Job 23, beginning at verse 10. God knows the way I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot is held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the word of his mouth 
more than my necessary food. Job says, even though God seems to be far away, God knows where I am. And he knows the step I take. Can I suggest to you this morning, if you're going through hard times, if you're going through struggles, if you're going through adversities, if you're going through trials, and God seems like he's far away, can I encourage you and let you know that God is nearer than you think, and he knows exactly where you are. Do you remember what David says in the 23rd Psalm? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. God is with us. There is no guarantee in Scripture that God's people will never suffer adversity. We will. We'll suffer storms. We'll suffer trials. We'll suffer temptation. What God promises is, or what God promises us is, to take our hand and go through that storm with us. He won't leave us alone. God knows where I am. It says, when he has tested me, Job understood that this was a test of his faith. This was a test of his endurance. He says, when God has tested me, when we go through trials and tribulations and struggles, we need to understand that our, our faith is being strengthened. Our faith is being tested, and that test is not a test to see if we're going to sin or not. It is a test that strengthens our faith. It's a test that will make our faith stronger. God knows the way I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Job saw and understood that there was an end to this time. Job says, when I come forth, I'm going to come through this valley. And when I get finished, we need to understand, if we're going through struggles, if we're trying to comfort someone that's going through struggles, it is only temporary. There will be an end. To it won't last forever. He says, I'll come forth as gold. I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. Job's faith never departed. Job never said there must not be a God. Job never said that God is just evil and wicked. Job says, my faith hasn't faltered. He says, as a matter of fact, I have treasured the word of God more than my necessary food. Can I tell you this? When I was going through and taking care of Ann when she had her leukemia, the only thing that kept me sane, one of the only things that kept me sane was God's word. I probably spent more time in God's word in those three and a half years than I have my whole life. And I wasn't spending time in God's Word to try to get a sermon together or to try to get a Bible class together. I was trying to spend time in God's Word to try to keep myself together, amen, and to worship God and to, and to trust God. This, the Word of God was more important than food. And y'all know I like to eat. There are times I didn't eat maybe half a meal a day. But there was never a day I didn't spend time in God's Word. That's what trials and tribulations do to us. Well, what can we learn from this real quick, and I'm done. First of all, learn that just because we're God's child, it doesn't mean we're not going to suffer. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. We're either going through hard times, 
getting ready to go through hard times or we just got finished going through hard times. We're in one of those three places. Being God's child doesn't exclude us from suffering. Also understand that there are things that are happening that we may never understand. Understand that God sees the big picture. God is in control. God sees tomorrow. He is bigger than our adversity. God is bigger than our past. God is bigger than our fear. God is bigger than our anger. And God is bigger than our struggles. There's nothing too big for God. In Job 42, when we get to the very end of the book, look what Job says about God. Job 42, beginning at verse 1. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything. Think about everything Job has been through. His wife says, you know what, you're just so bad, you might as well curse God and die. His friends have told him, Job, you've sinned. If you just repent of your sin, God would restore everything. Job says, I don't know where I've sinned. I don't know where I've done anything to do that. So Job gets to the end of all this. And he says, God, you can do everything. And no purpose of yours can be without. In other words, whatever you want to have happen, it's going to happen. None of your purposes can be withheld from you. If you purpose it, it's going to happen. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Job says, therefore I've uttered what I didn't understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. Job said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job says, God, there's nothing too big for you. Your purposes are going to get done no matter what. There's no force on earth that can stop your purposes. And aren't you glad? Would you want to surrender to your life to a God that wasn't God? Would you want to give your past and your, your, your anger and your fear and your struggles and your life to a God that might not be an awesome God? I wouldn't. It's comforting to know that our God is bigger than everything. And Job says... God, I heard about you. But he says, now I see you with my eyes. I've experienced you. How many, and y'all don't raise your hand, but how many of you all sitting here have experienced God? And when you get done with that experience, aren't you the stronger for it? Isn't your relationship with him closer? It's one thing to hear about God. It's another thing to experience God. And oh, by the way, at the end of this story, God gives Job back twice as much as he had before he took it away. But can I tell you that we're not necessarily guaranteed that? We may have poor health 
And it just might be that we struggle with poor health for the rest of our lives. God doesn't promise us he's going to heal us this side of heaven. He'll heal us. It might be in eternity, right? We might lose possessions. We might get them back. We might not. We need to learn to have the same. Our motto in life ought to be the same thing as Job's. I came into this world naked. Now I'll leave this world naked. <coughs> you know, people are born a lot of different places. They've been born in caves. They've been born in mangers. They've been born in hospitals. They've been born in houses. They've been born in vehicles. They've been born probably in ways I've never thought about. Where however many, however many places there are, over the course of times, babies have been born. But you know something they all have in common? Some of them might have been white babies, black babies, brown babies. Some babies might be born into wealthy families. Some babies might be born into poor families. Every baby that's ever been born is born naked. And every human being that dies, if the funeral director didn't cover them up in a suit, wouldn't we be naked? We can't take it with us. Aren't you glad God's in control? You see, God, the, the focus of Job is not on why do we suffer. If you, if you go to Job, and, and too many people have approached Job that way, trying to find answers to suffering. God never answers Job's why. But if we'll look at Job and understand how God shaped the faith of Job in the middle of his struggles, that's helpful to us, right? That's helpful in our struggles because we're all Job. We're all going to face that stuff. And we need to be strengthened by God. The question I have for you today is, how's your relationship with God? Have you gone through a lot of bad stuff where you put God away over here and say, God doesn't care. God doesn't listen. God doesn't hear. Can I tell you this morning that God loves you and God cares about you? How do I know that? Because he sent his son to die on a cross for so that you could come back to him and have a relationship for him and with him. And maybe you have trusted Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you're a Christ follower. And some bad things have happened in your life. Maybe uh, your family members may have hurt you. Maybe a church members might have hurt you. A preacher might have hurt you. Different, different things. Maybe you're going through health crisis, relationship crisis, whatever it is. Can I tell you this morning that God is there waiting for you to come home? God hasn't moved. If you're not as close to God as you were last year, God hasn't moved. You're moving further away from God. You know what the good news is this morning? The good news is, or the bad news is we're all sinners. And we're all bad sinners. I am, you are, we all are. The good news is, 
Jesus Christ is a bigger Savior than we are Haven't you been gone long enough? Aren't you ready to come home? Let's bow.